The Gospel lesson is written in the fifth chapter of Matthew, beginning at the 14th verse. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. Jesus is speaking here. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I was just a child. There was no school on this particular Monday, and my parents insisted I watch TV with them. History was unfolding. My mother cried and left the room when this image came across our black and white TV screen. There are days in our lives which are seared into our memories. For those of us in the baby boom generation, November 22nd, 1963, and the days that followed are among them. If you're a generation older than I am, you recall December 7th, 1941, the destruction and the years of war that followed. All the adults here remember this day of devastation, death, and ruin. Years of warfare and terror. The stories of brutality unleashed, lives extinguished, and cities destroyed fill the pages of history. Today we're going to discuss the destruction of Jerusalem in the 6th century B.C. and the subsequent rebuilding of that great city on a hill. We'll be looking at Old Testament history and relate that to Jesus' first century instructions in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll also discuss the lessons in all this for Faith Lutheran in 2017. So this is a message that stretches across the ages. In the 6th century B.C., Babylonian King Nebuchadnezzar lays siege to the great city of Jerusalem. In the summertime, two years later, he takes the city, destroying Jerusalem's walls and buildings, including the great temple built by Solomon, which had for 400 years been the center of Jewish life. Most of the population of Jerusalem is hauled off into captivity in Babylon. The once beautiful and vibrant city on a hill, Jerusalem, lies in ruins, deserted rubble where the people of God once worshipped. Decades go by, nothing's rebuilt. Quiet desolation reigns. The great center of Jewish life and culture and religion is gone. God's people sit in exile by the rivers of Babylon and weep. Captive in a strange land, 
Their children grow up having never seen Zion, a name synonymous with Jerusalem. And then an amazing thing happens. The Babylonian Empire falls, crushed by the greater might of King Cyrus of the Persians. Now life in Babylon is under Persian rule. But there's one very good thing about being ruled by Cyrus. Do you know what it is? He allows all the peoples in captivity to return to their own lands. They're still under his control, but they can return home. All this is detailed in Holy Scripture. It's also documented in an ancient artifact, and this is it, the Cyrus Cylinder. It's a Persian artifact covered with an inscription detailing the decree of Cyrus, which returned deported peoples to their homelands. What great news! In many waves over 80 years, thousands make their way back across the desert to Jerusalem. Their story is in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Of course, they return to rubble. First, the temple is rebuilt, and then later the city walls. Hostilities and political intrigue make the task more difficult, so much so that they must arm themselves as they work on the walls. In one hand, they carry their tools and materials while a weapon is in their other hand. Their faith life is reestablished. Scripture is read aloud to a populace listening with eager ears. The returning Jews are so moved, they weep with joy. Imagine what's going on here. They're able to embrace again who they are after generations of captivity in a foreign culture, dominated for so long. They now stand again in Zion and hear the stories of their people, the tales of Abraham and Jacob and Moses. They rediscover with joy their identity and history. Only with this strength can they move forward. They must be girded with the power of truth in Scripture to build a future. Jerusalem, the great city on a hill, is rebuilt. The temple is reconstructed on the ruins of the one built by Solomon. And when the foundation of that second temple is laid, a great celebration is recorded. And here's what we read about it in Ezra 3. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. The people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. They hear the stories and see the roadmap for rebuilding and for the future. They are a people built up and saved through Scripture. Their protection is the Almighty, and the walls they will build with a chisel in one hand and a weapon in the other. Worship and Scripture undergird it all. Through them, the God of Israel will be brought to all the world. But first, the people must know what they are sharing. 
I love that in this scripture, the sound of their joy is heard far away. Remember that phrase, that the sound of their joy is heard far away. Indeed, it is a shout that will be heard to the ends of the earth. For from these people's descendants, a new king will be born, Jesus the Messiah. In John 8, 12, Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This 17th century artist shows that truth in a simple yet symbolic image. Set in an inky darkness, this nativity scene is beautifully illuminated by what? The glowing body of the infant Jesus, the light of the world. How lovely. This business of being the light of the world extends beyond the person of Jesus because the Lord dwells in the believer. That light is also carried in the faith we bear, the faith that was given to us. Now, here's the beginning of the gospel lesson for today. Jesus is speaking to those who have followed him to listen to the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. We have the responsibility to carry the light of Christ into the world. Yet we live in a time when many in our culture want us to hide our Christian faith, and that at a time when that faith so needs to be a beacon of hope on a high hill. There are days when Christians feel under attack for letting their light shine, for doing the work we're called to do in Scripture, for giving glory to the Father. As you read this, as you heard the story of the Jewish exiles returning to a ruined Jerusalem, could you relate to their joy and their pain? Among the first returnees standing on that high spot, the Temple Mount in the city on the hill, only the elderly among them could remember the original place of worship. For the young, the reading of scripture was a revelation of who they were. The young ones had grown up in a pagan culture, one that oppressed the faith of the older generation. However, as they stand side by side and a foundation's laid for a new temple, together this faithful remnant worships the one true God, sustained and nourished by God. A remnant will survive, nourished on the word and worship. Our foundation is word and worship too. We cling to the truths of faith because We must be grounded in them in order to carry the word into the world and into the future. The young today also need their elders standing with them, guiding, encouraging them for the future. The future that's unfolding will certainly be different. That's always true. Don't you suppose the older generation at the rebuilding of the temple mourned the passing of a more glorious past. They must have wished that the accoutrements of temple worship would be just like 
when they were young. But that wasn't what was important, was it? Building for a future generation to give glory to God, to give him glory in truth, was where they needed to be invested. Our focus needs to be on the future, too. Look around at the people in this sanctuary. How many will still be here in 30 or 40 years? We have to reach out to those who do not yet believe and to those not even born yet. We cannot be frozen in traditions and appearances. Here's what the Lutheran reformers wrote on this topic nearly 500 years ago. For it's sufficient for the true unity of the Christian church that the gospel be preached in conformity with a pure understanding of it and that the sacraments be administered in accordance with the divine word. It is not necessary for the true unity of the Christian church that ceremonies instituted by men should be observed uniformly in all places. The message here is that word and sacrament are at the heart of our worship, whether we use liturgy from a red book, a green book, or no historic ritual at all, is not important. We're not locked into a particular type of music. While we each have preferences, there's not one correct form that must be adhered to. So here at Faith, we have four very different worship services right here in the sanctuary each weekend, plus a special service designed for youth uh, downstairs. We seek to offer a range of worship options. The services differ liturgically. A range of instruments and styles are used. That is a good thing. We are reaching out to a wider group. Can you visualize this sanctuary 30 years from now? If we fail in our mission to carry the word to a new generation, if we fail in our mission because we insist that everything must still look and sound like it's 1955, our children and grandchildren must be more important than traditions. Our belief in doctrine does not change, but style and liturgy and music can. Otherwise, when we die, this church dies. We need to know what scripture says so that we know who we are as Christians so that we can transform the world. Having that wall of truth around us is important. We don't compromise truth, but we're not committed to mere tradition for tradition's sake. We need to be that city on a hill, a visible fortress of faith, prominent on the landscape. Our purpose is not to hunker down behind these walls, doing things the way they were done when we were kids. We must reach out in mission, sharing the gospel with those who do not yet believe, sharing the light of Christ, carrying that into the future. We must know who we are before we can be that light in the world, though we must be confident in our identity as Christians. Are you prepared to be a light? Can you answer the questions and reply to the 
arguments of the pagan culture around us, be prepared to give the reason for your faith. We have classes every Sunday to help you learn more. Uh, We have Bible study groups that meet throughout the week. After worship, I invite you to go into the lecture hall. On that curved counter is information on uh, the classes that are running now, the things uh, that are coming up. Uh, There are many opportunities to learn. Christianity's about mission. Disciples going out, making more disciples. We must know who we are and what we believe in order to carry the message into the world. You too must be able to train up the next generation to know what Christianity truly is. Do your children and grandchildren know the truth? Can they defend it in the world? Learn and teach them so that the sound of their joy is heard far away too. Let's pray. Dear Lord, there is a younger generation that is just beginning its struggles. We pray the Holy Spirit rests on them. So they remain faithful to their Savior who has lived, died, and risen. May they too be saved through the faith you have given. And may their light shine in the darkness of this world. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.